0: The first time anyone ever suggested to me that I might have a parasite, I sort of freaked out. I mean, I didn't jump up and down and scream, but on the inside, I was freaked out. A parasite, like a worm, like something squiggling around inside of me, it totally freaked me out. I was finishing my functional diagnostic nutrition certification and my mentor told me that she thought my symptoms, even as few as they were, could be pathogenic, meaning that they were being caused by their bacteria, um, yeast overgrowth parasite, something that is an aggressor. It's a pathogen in my body. She suggested that I should get a stool test. And I didn't really want to. I was really proud of my health. You guys have listened to numerous levels and variations of trying things, everything from the low FODMAP diet to then making my breakthrough with getting craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation. But overall, I have significantly fewer symptoms. I sleep through the night. My energy's much better than it used to be throughout the day. I wake up feeling refreshed. I don't have all the food sensitivities that I used to. I can eat pretty much whatever I want. I don't have quick feelings of fullness. I feel pretty good. But I waited a few months and I ordered a stool test. And in July of this year, 2020, I learned the truth. I have a parasite. It is a microscopic parasite. When I first heard the word parasite, I assumed it was like a worm or something visible and squirmy and squiggly in my gut. But really, there are actually parasites that are microscopic, just like bacteria. And my parasite was called blastocystis hominis. Uh, In communities where you say it more frequently, you can also refer to it as simply blasto. And I might be saying that a few times on this episode. Since finding out that I have blastocystis hominis, I have done significant amounts of studying this parasite and I have found so many things that have given me a whole new lease on how gut health can deteriorate invisibly through parasite infections, bacterial overgrowths, and yeast overgrowths. Finding out where it comes from has also given me an idea of where all my health problems might have started. And as of now, I think that my IBS and all of my digestive problems probably started with My infection of blasto. And since that infection, which I believe looks like it happened in 2015, which we'll get into later, that since then, everything I've done for my health has merely been coping around the fact that I have a parasite burrowing into my small intestines and destroying my mucosal lining. Yes, not a great thing to go through. In today's episode, I want to share with you some of the stunning correlations of blastocystis hominis with IBS. What killing my blasto has done for my life, and reasons you might want to get your own gut checked for a parasite. Welcome to the Better Belly Podcast, where we find freedom from food restrictions, we increase energy in our lives, and we begin to feel healthy and vibrant again by finding the root cause of our gut health problems. My name's Allison Jordan. Marathon runner, functional medicine practitioner, certified craniosacral therapist, gut health nerd, lover of Jesus, and owner of the Better Belly Therapies, a clinic based in Ann Arbor, Michigan that works with both virtual and local clients to help them achieve the best health of their life. I am here to walk with you on your journey to a better belly and a better life. We're gonna go beyond popping a probiotic and checking out our poop. In this show, we are going to go deep into gut transformation strategies that last for life. If you're ready to feel your best, get ready to roll. You are in the right place. Thank you for listening to the Better Belly Podcast. Just a reminder, this information is not meant to diagnose, manage, or treat disease. Always consult with your own health practitioner before you make changes. To start us off on today's episode, I looked up some information from places you can just find on the internet and some pretty well-known sources, including Mayo Clinic. To start off, I want to talk about blastocystis hominis, and if you look up symptoms for this parasite, this is what you will find, at least on the Mayo Clinic. Watery diarrhea, nausea, abdominal pain, bloating, excessive gas, loss of appetite, and fatigue. Now, for me, I had a lot of correlations with the abdominal pain, heck yes, tons of that, bloating, yes, excessive gas, very smelly gas for me too, loss of appetite, 100% and fatigue, you got it. Not so much diarrhea, but the reason for the diarrhea usually is when you have an acute or a recent infection, the body's trying to get rid of it and so you're getting diarrhea. One of the most common places that you're going to get blastocystis hominis or the way that it's transferred is through stool. So if you have somebody else's stool that has this and it somehow contaminates maybe your food, and I know that might sound gross, but I want you to think like third world country is very commonplace where it's going to get transferred. So if you visit Mexico, if you visit India, which is actually where I visited, um, if you visit different places where their sanitation protocols are not the same, where they're cleaning, um, all these different stuff is not the same, there's going to be a higher risk of infection. Um, also think about toilets and just the fact that we could pick up these things just from being out and about. But yes, it's going to come from a cross infection from somebody else's stool and somebody else having it in their stool. It's not going to come from saliva. There's no problems with kissing. Unlike some other infections such as H. pylori, H. pylori can be transferred through purely saliva and especially kissing. Um, But blastocystis is going to be more through a stool. And other places that you can think about that will be, again, like water. If you're in a lake, if you're in a river that has contamination from blastocystis homus, that is another place that you could get it. And again, we're really thinking third world countries are one of the most common areas that it is. IBS patients have been found to be infected with blastocystis at statistically significant levels in multiple countries. I'm going to be providing a link in the show notes below for checking out some of the research that I was looking at. But there was this one piece of research, it was a meta-analysis, so I was looking at multiple pieces of research of blasto in multiple countries. And in Italy, there was an 18% correlation. They just took basically anybody who had IBS and they did a stool test and they said, hey, do You have blastocystis hominis at the same time. In Italy, 18% of the people had that. In Pakistan, 46% of random people who'd been diagnosed with IBS had blastocystis. In the UK, 38%. 38% 38% in the UK, which is a first world country, very similar to America. They, when they just took a random sampling of a bunch of people with IBS, 38% of them had blastocystis hanging out in the background. And while there were no studies that are looking at America and in the US, they didn't do the, any similar study where... Um, just a random hundreds of IBS patients given a stool test and seeing if they had any parasites in them. What we do know, and some of the research that this article referred to, is that blasto is the most prevalent mono-infection in symptomatic patients in the U.S. It was found 28.5 times more frequently than another parasite called Giardia lamblia. This research article was really interesting because it also acknowledged the fact that IBS for a long time, if you're listening to this podcast, you might have even been suggested this, but IBS was for a long time to be a mainly or majority psychosomatic disorder where it was like, well, I'm upset in my mind, so I need to, um, that is affecting my gut. So I'm anxious, or I'm depressed, or I'm upset in my mind for some reason, um, and that's a chronic problem, and now it's upsetting my gut because of the brain-gut axis. And while The brain gut axis is real, and it's great to have a healthy mind and get counseling, and um, definitely aim to be less anxious and address trauma or depression in our lives, things like that. The fact is, is that there are more and more studies that are identifying immune activation in IBS patient and chronic immune activation we have different levels of our immune system we have ige igm iga and some of them are more acute where you'll see for example iga flare up if it's a more recent immune response but then some of them are going to be more long term iga and ige those are going to say hey this person's been having a chronic long term immune response to to something in the body. And there's different formats of that. You can find out potentially what it's upset about, whether it's food, a parasite, but you can even just look at the overall in the blood. What are those levels and what are they responding to? Or, or at least, you know, is there a chronic elevated immune response opposed to oh, it's all in your head, just stop being less stressed? You guys get me with that when I say that, right? That same piece of research that was looking at the meta-analysis, looking at multiple pieces of research regarding blastocystis and IBS, found that there was also recurrence and a commonality of, of skin problems with people who had blastocystis. And so they're finding people who had Either acne or rashes, or um, and that could be on their chest, on their back, on their face, and, and painful red dots. They couldn't figure out why these people were having all these skin problems. They give a gave a bunch of people with skin problems these undiagnosed skin problems a stool test for eleven different types of parasites, and the only ones that they found was blastocystis. In this study, it was from performed at clinical laboratories from two thousand three to two thousand six, and they were all all negative for any parasite other than blastocystis. Super, super fascinating. Um, These people were also given colonoscopies, endoscopies, which if you're listening to this, you might have gone through those. I know I have. And they were given gluten challenge tests, and those were all negative. So they weren't getting these skin problems from other problems that would show up on a colonoscopy or an endoscopy, or um, they were getting skin problems because they were sensitive to gluten. They ruled out several other kind of major factors that doctors generally are going to look for when they're looking at gut health. And all these people showed up negative, except for the blastocystis hominis. Their infections were unresponsive to a bunch of traditional medications. And they were found out that it was parasites that was causing skin problems, like really, really chronic skin problems. Other things this piece of research found, and I know I already mentioned that um, blastocystis is more commonly acquired when traveling abroad. This is probably attributed to as I already said poor hygiene, exposure to animals, consumption of contaminated food or water, but a couple studies in this meta-analysis found that travelers' diarrhea had a high prevalence of blastocystis at the root. And other studies found about 25% to 75% of those with blastocystis. So people who come back to the US, they are found to have blastocystis by their doctor and then 25 to 75% of those people had a history of of recent foreign travel upon finding that they had this parasite so there was one study that they did in nepal where and this is just the meta-analysis sharing what they found there was one study that they did in nepal where they found that blastocystis and travelers diarrhea had no correlation But that isn't to say that in other studies, they did find a correlation. So, And it makes sense. You guys at the beginning kind of shared about how some of the symptoms that Mayo Clinic says you'll have with blastocystin is that diarrhea, nausea, abdominal pain, bloating, excessive gas. Well, the problem is is that a lot of doctors, and and you're like, well, okay, if I've had all these problems and there's research out there that says that there's a correlation between this parasite blasto and IBS, why have I not been checked? That is a... A great question, because let me tell you, I was never checked for a stool test by my doctor. I mean, literally, guys, I have been on my own personal journey for years, and it's only until I took my own initiative to do a stool test on me that I found it. And let me tell you, the results have been phenomenal. (laughs) But before we get to the results, the big question and what I want you guys to understand, because all the time you guys are asking me, can I get my doctor to do this test for me? What do I have to tell them? Um, And or I'm being told, hey, I asked my doctor to do this test. And that includes tests on parasites and pathogens, food sensitivity tests, hormone tests, lots of tests that doctors won't run. But the reason for that is that blastocystis, in general, in the medical community, in the conventional medical community is considered to be an acute pathogen. Basically, your body gets it and you get some short-term symptoms of this diarrhea. Maybe it's traveler's diarrhea. You don't feel well. You're fatigued. It's like classic. I traveled abroad, ate something I shouldn't, and I feel horrible. You get sick. You get over it. You come back to the US. You're done that is the narrative for blasto. Unfortunately, what it seems to be happening and what conventional medicine is not agreeing upon, but what a lot of more functional medicine doctors are seeing is that blasto becomes a chronic condition. So you have your initial infection where the blasto is causing chaos. Your body's like, oh my gosh, why do I have a parasite in me? And then you have it for a couple months. The body kind of adjusts. It contains the blasto sort of. And so your body actually copes to having a parasite parasite in it. It says, okay guys, this is the new norm. We couldn't get rid of it, but it's sort of contained and we're just going to try and not freak out anymore. Simultaneously, blasto, uh, as well as pretty much all other pathogens, parasites, yeast, bacteria, they all kick out toxins to keep us weak. So a lot of times with people who have parasite infections, let alone bacterial overgrowths or yeast overgrowths have depressed immune systems. And sometimes the depressed immune system is because of something else in their life, could be heavy metals, could be stress, could be food sensitivities, things like that. But sometimes that suppressed immune system is because the actual infection is kicking out toxins so that the immune system can't respond. And that's how they make their home, that's how you, you start noticing you get sicker more frequently. You can't fight off colds as well. You might be having more allergy problems, sinus problems. You're having your first seasonal allergies. All these different things kind of pop up. And that's because the parasite or the other pathogenic infection is suppressing your immune system and you cannot fight things off the way you used to. There's an interesting, and I can even just read you from the report in the research. It says, remarkably, many laboratories do not report blastocystis in their labs. So basically, they don't even look for it because of a long-held view by some in the medical community that blasto is always non-pathogenic. So they just see it as something that gets into your body and it's not trying to harm you. So that's why laboratories, like a lot of conventional medicine, doesn't even look for it some more chronic and long-term problems that they've seen with blasto that this article mentions that like other pieces of research have found is altered gut reactivity. So they're talking about motility of the colon or the small intestine. And so that means when you're trying to push food along, this is altered gut reactivity. So it's either, that could be higher reactivity where you're pushing things too quickly and getting diarrhea. That could be lower gut reactivity. Um, And so you're, you're not passing food through as well. That can result in bloating, quick feelings of fullness, constipation. But basically when you have this parasite, this is a chronic long-term result that they've noted in research. You're going to have a higher or lower response to psychological stimuli, there's going to be typically an increase in hypersensitivity of your viscera or your organs. So that increased sensation of pain. I mean, imagine like when you get a sunburn, (laughs) the same shirt or the same clothing that you would put on that used to not bother you now bothers you a lot. And so you have this parasite in your gut, it's burrowing into your intestinal walls, it doesn't make you feel great. And then you can also have a chronic immune activation. So some of the things we just, Mention, but just noting that this is stuff that they found in this meta analysis of multiple pieces of research on Blasto and IBS. So how does this connect with my story? And and I'm hoping that as I share my story, guys, do this make sense with your story, that maybe a piece of your story sticks out of like, oh, I did travel abroad, or oh, there was this sudden season where it really showed up, and, and maybe you had a sudden bout of diarrhea, and it just seemed like you had a gut flu or maybe food poisoning. You weren't sure what it was happening, but you're fatigued. You knew you needed to stay home and rest, and, and then you did. And of course, a couple months later, maybe everything changed. That was my story, so here's where it started. Everything started in 2015 in India. I traveled to India in the spring um, with students that I was doing um, leadership work at the time, so it was for my job. Um, We came back after 11 days in India, and I'd traveled across the world before I knew that when you get exposed to other things, you can feel really crappy. And I did go through a time period where I was getting some diarrhea, but didn't overly concern me just kind of figured, yeah, this happens. And there's lots of different spices here. And there's lots of different bacteria, even in the dirt, even non pathogenic. But what happened and what I never I literally never thought about it. I never thought about it, guys. A couple months later in May, I started having problems with dairy. I didn't know it was dairy initially. All I knew is I couldn't sleep at night. I would wake up in the middle of night. I couldn't fall back asleep. I was having trouble falling asleep, let alone staying asleep. And in the morning I would wake up, I'd have a bowl of cereal and around, I'd probably have it around 6am and around 9 to 10am, I would feel like I needed a nap. I was like literally falling over with fatigue. That was a couple months after everything started. So my symptoms... They continue to progress from 2015 to 2019. I was lethargic. I lost weight. I had severe insomnia. I was fatigued. I was felt really weak. It was really hard for me to exercise. Um, which was not my norm because I was an ex-gymnast. I'm a red-black belt in Taekwondo. I had run a half marathon. Weakness was not one of my things. Um, I had bloating, constipation, abdominal pain, lots of low back pain, which if you guys heard me talk about is because the small intestines are linked to the low back, to our lumbar spine via our mesentery and mesenteric root. It goes right over the spine, causes lots of low back pain. I had horrible facial acne, like horrible, um, and puffiness. Like my face, my hands, if you look at my photos, um, which I have not put together yet, but I might try to share on Instagram. Um, If you take a look at my photos from 2015 to 2020, I mean, I 2015, I'm a full adult, right? (laughs) I graduated from college, have a job, but my face looks so puffy and round. um, And there's just all this inflammation. I never thought it was inflammation. I actually just thought it was fat, which was weird because like I said, I had a very healthy body weight, but I look like a child because of that roundness. From 2015 to 2019, doctors always said I was fine. I was treated with diet control, which you've heard me talk about low FODMAP. That's going to be episode one. Um, I was treated with mindfulness, counseling. I tried to change my like sleep routine. I changed jobs. I tried probiotics, which there's a whole episode on probiotics um, that we can share in the show notes on why they might not help if you have another parasite going on or another pathogen going on in your gut. Definitely something to look into if probiotics haven't helped. I brewed my own kombucha. Guys, I did not have a lot of money, so I brewed my own kombucha. I was a kombucha mama, Um, and then I got craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation, and that was my first time I started feeling better. Basically, though, I never killed the parasite. I just helped myself be a what we call a bad host. You know, if you go to someone's house and they're inviting you into your house, and they're like, "Here's a guest room," and let yourself have all the food you want. You have your own bathroom, change the temperature, make the room as hot or cold as you want. Um, and they're changing your whole house. And you're being like this perfect and just very amenable host. Well, there are certain lifestyle choices we can make that make ourselves a better host for parasites. And then there's certain things we can do that make ourselves a worse host. And that can be diet change. That can be your sleep, your anxiety control. For me, a big thing that helped me be a really bad host and be able to fight back was craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation because they helped my nervous system come back online. They helped my motility increase, which helped me slough off and get rid of the parasite. It also helped me detox better because I actually was moving stool through my body. So I wasn't retaining um, excess toxins from even just things like my hormones, metabolic waste from my cells. Is was actually able to <laughs> use my detox pathway of stool the way I should be able to, but the problem was it still was there. So I dealt with my health in layers, continue to slowly see myself progress, but I really wonder, guys someone had the idea to get a stool test for me when in 2015 or 2016 if I'd gotten that gotten the cranial and visceral um, but then also killed this parasite how much more quickly would I have healed my my journey's been about five years I know many people who've had longer health journeys 10 years 20 years trying to figure out everything from IBS to Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism um, when there are other things going on that are causing these problems and no one's looking at them this is when we are talking about root problem health root cause what is causing the skin problems let's not just throw creams on it let's look at um, the gut because the gut and the skin are very very closely linked if the gut's not getting rid of stuff or dealing with toxins dealing with um, dealing with things that are going to cause an immune response whether that's foods that the body is sensitive to or that's a pathogen or toxins, The skin is another detox pathway and the skin will deal with it. Unfortunately, when the skin deals with it, the skin gets irritated, it turns red, it can get itchy, it can get hot. There can be acne because of all this excess toxin that the skin's not quite meant to handle, but it will handle as a way to preserve you. So definitely, definitely super strong connection to the skin. So fast forward, July 2020, I take this stool test because I've got some mild symptoms and I'm also a bit of a dork and nerd. And I'm like, I want to know if I have a parasite. I totally have a parasite, totally blown away. I have yet to find anyone in my work who has blasto, but no one in my work has mirrored any of my symptoms quite the same. We've found a couple parasites, lots of H. pylori, lots of bacterial overgrowth, a little bit of yeast overgrowth, such as Candida. But really, you want to know when you're thinking about your gut health, you don't want to just throw some supplements at yourself and say, I'm just going to deal with it. I think it's a parasite. Because the truth is, I had another person who... If I just thrown parasite stuff at her, would not have killed her candida. And that's what she had. She also is gonna need to change her diet in a different way with a different type of overgrowth. And so you really, really wanna know what is actually in your gut. And the best way to do that is a test. For me and my practice, we're using the GI Map by Gen- uh, Diagnostic Solutions. It's a fantastic test. There's other tests out there that do work. And if you find someone who does functional medicine, um, maybe find an integrative doctor uh, or integrative healthcare professional, they usually have their own tests they prefer and hook you up. But here's here's my story, because you might be wondering, okay, Austin, what changed? Because I'm, I'm recording this after I've done all of my supplements and killed my pathogen you don't use an antibiotic. The doctors do have pharmaceuticals you could take if you want to kill it that way, but they're really harsh on the gut and they can actually create more problems. They can create allergic reactions. They can create autoimmune responses, um, just can really create a lot of chaos. So I took herbal remedies to kill the pathogen. Um, and I remember telling during the process, here's a couple of things that was happening on my day-to-day basis. I would wake up and I would roll over and look at my husband and I would say, my stomach isn't in pain. <laughs> I- (laughs) I was so used to in the morning having pain, I would do a couple visceral stretches to help open things up. I'd get a couple pops. And I just knew that my small intestine in particular was getting really, really wound up overnight, very, very tight. And parasites are most active at night, partly because you're asleep. And so you're not dumping water into them and food, Um, partly because they tend to be a more nocturnal species. They respond to our melatonin. They know, hey, it's nighttime. She's got increased melatonin, time to wake up. They go and do their thing. Um, And so they are responding to our circadian rhythms the same way that we respond to our circadian rhythms. Other thing that happened is I actually felt hungry less often, which was a remarkable. I have this problem that I noted that I really felt like if I was starting to get fatigued or if I hadn't eaten a while, I'd get a small headache or I'd kind of get grumpy and felt like I wasn't monitoring or my body wasn't handling its own glucose very well, which was really surprising to me. And so it was really hard for me to miss meals, um, it was really hard for me to even go from meal to meal without just a little snack, a little something, something. And that's probably just with um, your small intestines can cramp up more often if there is a pathogen there. The pathogen itself can also want food. And so it could also create a response where it's like, hey, buddy, we want to eat more. (laughs) And so it was wonderful to feel like I was not distracted from my work by these pains um, in my stomach from meal to meal so I was, felt like I was able to better handle being hungry and or missing or having delayed meals. I did not need to do my abdominal and visceral stretches constantly. So as much as they've been helpful to me, I really felt that they were a crutch. I would have to do visceral stretching before I ran. I had to do visceral stretching in the morning, in the evening, sometimes before meals, just if I had extra cramping. Um, I had a faster running pace, guys. I like shaved off a 30-second in my running pace for my minute per mile. I was um, running at about a 930 pace, which is fast for me, guys. And I've shaved it down to like a nine minute running pace in two weeks. I mean, it was incredible. I felt lighter. I had more energy. I wasn't having energy dips during the day. And the other crazy thing is, guys, I had my first strong period in two years. Two years, guys, I have gone two years with having um, at least having some period, but really weak. And I'm just being really honest because the thing is, is we either think, oh, I don't have a period, yay me, or we don't connect our gut to our period, but our hormones, our, our skin, they're all super, super connected. And so I remember thinking that was my number one goal. If I could have a strong period, that would be the biggest thing that getting rid of a parasite meant to me. I knew that if I had a parasite, it could be the last thing keeping me from having a. A healthy period. I literally changed nothing else other than taking herbal supplements to kill my parasite and like a, a month after finishing the supplements, I had my first strong period. It was great, really good blood flow. And then a month later, I had a second strong period, and a month later, I have now had a third strong period. I have significantly reduced constipation and easier bowel movement. And I actually I would say not say that I struggle with constipation, pretty much would go every day, but the difference is is how much? Sometimes it'd be really small amounts. And of course, if you're someone who's into their gut health, you've been monitoring your gut for a while. And so that meant a lot to me. Like, okay, something's working right. Like I am having more regular bowel movements, I'm not having to take magnesium citrate as much. There's something that's getting better. So since I have finished the process, I I have needed craniosacral and visceral manipulation less. I, I don't crave it nearly as much. Um, and, and I still love it. I mean, I still do it, right? I am still a practitioner, but I personally don't need it as much. I have been switching to focusing on healing my hormones. I've been taking Chase Tree uh, to help support progesterone production in my body. I've been doing some acupuncture to also focus on my hormones and liver function. I've gotten occasional abdominal pain, but the frequency duration and intensity of it is so much less. And so I'm not quite sure what that pain is. It's still a question mark in my book is something only for me to discover because, you know, something that I used to not understand at all in 2015 now makes so much more sense because of all the research I've been doing. It's been so, so wonderful to not have that pain in my life to be able to eat fuller meals to um, not need to stretch not need craniosacral therapy and visceral like to not need it to be able to get it to be healthy to do something healthy for myself but to not need it to just survive and get through the day And then also to have the period back so that I can have hope for having children so that I can get that fifth vital sign back and say, my body is telling me it feels healthy, aside from the fact that, you know, I feel healthy. (laughs) And then I don't have too many skin problems, but I would still occasionally get little flare-ups on my forehead, around my chin, and those have also significantly decreased. It's been really, really wonderful, guys. Well, I hope you guys loved this episode. I know that I love sharing this information and all the interesting data there is out there on so many more things that harm us, help us, could be involved with our gut health and that there is something you can do. And it's not always going to just be stop eating this and just sleep more and stop being so anxious. There's really, really practical things you guys can do. So I'm so excited to be sharing that in the month of December, we're going to be collecting data for something called Ask Allison. We're going to start having podcast episodes a couple times a quarter where we are dedicating our time. We'll dedicate an hour to answering questions that you guys have. You can share your questions if you go to betterbellytherapies.com slash ask Allison or follow the link in the show notes and just type in your question there. If you have a specific condition you're dealing with, if you have a question about supplements, if you have a question about diet, if you have a question about maybe a friend of yours, any of those things. I know that people ask about questions about their kids. Um, You guys have some of the best questions. People ask me awesome questions all the time. And sometimes I just really wish that other people could hear the same questions and hear the answers that we're giving. And so we're creating an opportunity. The first Ask Allison will be happening in January to start off the new year as you are creating your new health goals in January and really starting to look forward to the year and and what new things can you do that you're going to have some information you could run forward with and and some insights. So guys, totally go to our website, betterbellytherapies.com, put slash Ask Allison and put in your question. I want to see those. Um, They will be anonymous, we'll just have our first name that we'll share and would love to hear more information. So um, the other thing is, is if you want my eyes on your body soon, if you don't wanna wait until January, if you want to consider and see if working with me is the right next step for your body, I provide 30 minute free complimentary consultations where we can just talk through what's going on and see if doing functional medicine and a little bit of lab diagnosis or seeing what would be the next step for you to figuring out what's going on in your body and what you can do to feel your best you have in maybe a while. You can follow the link in the show notes, set up that 30-minute call. I would love to talk with you and hear more about your story and see if working with me is the right thing for you. So with that, We are going to be ending this episode. I am so happy it is December um, here in Michigan. It is starting to snow around this time and it's cold. It's a great time for hot chocolate and reading. And I love this season to be reflecting on what's happened this year and ways that you want to improve and grow. I know this has been a really hard year with COVID and just being really potentially uh, set apart from people and, and things we're used to being able to engage with, but that doesn't mean that you can't move forward. In this month in December, we're going to be focusing all of our episodes on helping you reflect on this past year, handle the stress of the holidays and continue to be healthier and better than ever. I love you guys. I really hope that this year and this month we get to engage with you guys and engage in the community and continue to be moving towards health together. So if you love this episode, I'm so excited to share that we have more coming down the line. Subscribe to our episode on your podcast listener so that you never miss what is coming out. And if this episode made you think of a friend, can I ask that you take a screenshot and send it to them? I cannot count how many times when I tell someone I'm a gut health therapist, they say, "Oh, I know someone who needs to talk to you." So, send that friend a love note to their gut and pass this podcast along to them. Other ways that you can support us is by leaving a rating and review. We love it when our supporters get to share with other people about the things that impact them on the podcast the things that they learn and it really helps other people know that we're a trustworthy source with really fruitful beneficial information if you've loved this episode or any of our other episodes i would so appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and review on your podcast listener other ways you can stay connected with us is by following us on instagram and facebook at better belly therapies we love connecting with our listeners and it means so much if you drop by and said hi And just a reminder, as you go on to the rest of your day and seeking more health, remember that miracles are immediate. It's okay if not everything gets right correctly, but true healing takes time. We can expect that and we can expect to get healthier. Have a great day, guys.